Your king, he comes lowly, riding on a, a donkey's colt. And uh, so, what a wonderful thing. Of course, they, they missed the day. Uh, they didn't see him for who he is in truth. And maybe today will be the day, maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord, and today will be the day that the Lord uh, reveals himself to you. And uh, we just pray that you see him for who he is, and you receive him, and you get on your face before him in your heart, and you declare him your Lord and your Savior. Uh, if you need a Bible, we want to get one put in your hands. Just go ahead and raise your hand if you have need for one. And uh, Jody, you can maybe uh, peel that back just, just that little like you did last week. Yeah, uh, right there, good. Anybody else? Uh, today, we're actually going to stick to our, uh, our, our plans of making our way through the epistle of uh, Paul to the Corinthians. Next week, of course, Pastor Russ will be holding the uh, sunrise service, and then I'll be sharing at this service. Um, and of course, we'll take a little break with regard to Easter and, and focus on uh, the fact of the resurrection. So as we say, we encourage you to, to uh, invite folks out, you know, them... Uh, them stinking heathens, they'll, they'll come for maybe an Easter service, and uh, we want to capitalize on that, you know? <laughs> we love you, you, you heathens out there. We love you. <laughs> First Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to look at it in its entirety today. Just make your way there in a message that uh, I have entitled, Wisdom Revealed. And so let's take our hearts to the Lord. God, we just thank you even now for uh, gathering us together, Lord. And we recognize, we want to realize that none of us are here by coincidence or just uh, by chance perhaps, but that you've ordained uh, from before the foundations of the world that we would be here because you want to speak to us. You want to move and, and minister in the midst of us, God, and you want to change us and, and make us more like Jesus. And so to that end, we say, please have your way, and we pray in his name. And everybody said, amen. amen. You know, the message of the cross uh, offends the wisdom of this world. It is, it is foolishness to those who are perishing, the idea of a man being taken and tortured and nailed to a cross and left to die somehow being a means through which I can be saved, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can do the math, but it won't add up. Uh, the, the dots don't connect along the lines of worldly reasoning. And God, we discovered, was well pleased to accomplish our salvation in a way that none would anticipate, in a manner in which none could foresee, uh, because the wisdom of this world stands in opposition opposition to God. It wars against God. It tries to find answers and draw conclusions and, and solve problems apart from God. And so the Bible declares that God will destroy the wisdom of the wise of this world and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent or the, the scholarly. But something happens, follow me, something happens when you hear the message of the cross and you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, when you trust in the truth that Jesus didn't die for any sin of his own, but he shed his blood for you and for me. For without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. That is, there can be no elimination. There can be no taking away of sin. God has said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And so Jesus poured out his life that we might find life in him. 
And guys, that's exactly what happens when we believe with our heart in his work on our behalf. We're taken from dead in sin to alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We become a new creation. Old things pass away and behold, all things are made new. And it's not about anything that we do, but it's about everything that he's done. He becomes for us. Jesus became for us, Paul declared, the wisdom from God, knowing that worldly wisdom will never lead us to God. Jesus is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. It's through him that we come to the Father. And he's become for us righteousness. We're covered. We're cloaked in the righteousness of Christ. He's become for us sanctification. We're set apart to God in him. And, of course, he's become for us Redemption. That is, we have been purchased, set free from the slave market of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, you were redeemed, but not with uh, corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, amen, as a lamb without spot and without blemish, that as it is written, let him who glories, right? Here we are. Glory in the Lord. And now look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. And so Paul is taking them back, right? He consents as we begin to uh, see last week that they're beginning to slide back into previous patterns of, of, of placing uh, 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 of placing a premium, they're, they're thinking in their rationale, they're placing this premium on logical reasoning, on worldly rationale, but he reminds them, Paul reminds them of the manner of his ministry when he was among them. He says, look, if you remember right, when I came to you, and there I was, and I spent a year and a half with you. I didn't present myself as some sort of profound philosopher. I wasn't peddling a product as some sort of salesman, uh, trying to talk you into something through my smooth speech and eloquent oratory. He reminds them that he came, listen to me, as a witness. Not to try and talk anyone into anything, but to declare the straightforward truth of the gospel. You see it there, don't you, in verse 1, that he came, notice, declaring to you the testimony of God. Now, who is the person who declares a testimony? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that person is a witness. I mean, there you are, and you're in this court of law, and they place you on a stand. As a matter of fact, it's called the witness stand, and you share your testimony. You testify to the truth of what you've heard, of what you've seen, of what you've experienced, and that's what Paul had done among them. He gave testimony to what God had done through the person of Jesus Christ. And might I add, by way of application, that's what God has called you to do as well. You're not to try and convince anyone of anything. You don't have to rationalize or somehow justify what you believe, no. God has called you to share the truth of what his word says and what you have experienced 
personally, you see. I believe that too many times we convince ourselves that we really can't share because we don't know the Bible well enough. You know, I don't really know everything, or I might say something and get backed into an intellectual corner, and and I won't be able to work my way out of it, and so rather than take a chance, we choose to say nothing at all. Ladies and gentlemen, a witness doesn't need to know everything. Uh, They're only there to testify to their account, right? Now, that's not to say that we don't need to study. Certainly, we do. But if you wait till you know it all to say anything at all, listen, you'll never say anything. I'm reminded of the the blind man, and there he was in John chapter 9, and and the religious leaders, you remember Jesus had healed him, and and the religious leaders, they, they cornered him, and they were trying to get him to defame Jesus, and they said, give God the glory. We know that this man, in, in regard to Christ, is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, notice, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, come on somebody, now I see. see. Wait, they said something and he didn't have an answer for it? And he didn't try to defend it or make something up to sound smart in regard to it? He said, hey, I mean, this is Jesus we're talking about. He didn't even know him well enough to say whether he's a sinner or not. I mean, a sinner? God forbid, this man's no sinner. Did he say that? No, he's the perfect lamb of God sent to to, to take away the sins of the world. Did he say that? No. He said, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. You know, whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know. Listen, here's what I'm trying to say. It's okay to not know everything. You can say, you know what, that's a great question. Or you know what, I've never considered it from from that angle before. Try these words. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. You know, my life has been changed. I used to be an addict. Now I'm free, you know, or uh, I used to be strung out on pornography. Now, you know, my marriage was in shambles or, you know, on and on. We all have what God has done in our life. I've been made whole. My soul has been healed. And the one who did it for me was Jesus. You see, you're a witness. Are you following me? Now, that's not to say that Paul couldn't argue persuasively. Certainly he could rationalize Uh, aggressively, but as it pertained to his ministry, we read that he made a conscious decision to disregard that approach when presenting the gospel. He says it in verse 2. He says, for I, notice the word, determined. I determined not to know anything among you except, and he carries on from there. That is, he consciously decided to keep the focus on the message of the cross. He wasn't a salesman, you know, saying whatever needs said to sort of seal the deal. Uh, You know, will this car get good gas mileage? Oh, this car's going to get great gas mileage. (laughs) Hey, do you think uh, this car will make a good, long-lasting, reliable vehicle for years to come? Hey, listen to me, son. This vehicle's guaranteed not to rust, bust, collect dust, chip, crack, or peel. That one was used on me. 
by a man who sits among us. I bought the car. It was funny. No, no. But here's the thing, if you need to hear it, he'll be glad to say it, to get you to buy in on what he's selling. Paul was not that way. He was an ambassador, you see, not a salesman. Ambassador, an ambassador doesn't have to persuade you through smooth talk. He says, I have a message from my king. Here it is. And that's it. And he doesn't cater to what his audience wants to hear. He delivers the message and, and he's done. And whether or not you choose to accept it is entirely up to you. You can either enjoy the benefits of believing or suffer the detriment of uh, not believing, but no one's here. Now listen, no one is here to try and talk you into anything. And this was important to Paul. He was making a distinction for them so that they could clearly decide. You see... In the ancient world, entertainment was not the same as it is today. You know, today you might go to a movie, perhaps uh, you will go to a sporting event or uh, catch a concert, right? Just add infinity. I mean, you know, you might uh, decide to binge watch something on your streaming platform of choice. You might lose yourself for a few hours on your social media platform of choice. You know, whatever, on and on it goes. In the ancient world, there wasn't quite as many uh, options, and one very prevalent form of entertainment, you know, beyond maybe you'd go catch a, a, a playwright or something, or, or even listen to someone give a speech. This was a, this was a way that they would entertain one another. And when you've heard enough speeches, you know, as with anything else, uh, you, you begin to develop this, let's just call it a scorecard mentality. You know, you hold up a, a number in your mind when the speaker is done. Wow, what a great delivery. You know, wow, you know, what powerful oratory. My, he really turned the point on that so eloquently, you see. And, and you're evaluating the speech. And they, great, they gave great value to mannerisms and presentation and eloquence and inflection and, and all of the things. And Paul says, listen, I'm cutting through all of that. I couldn't care less about any of that. I'm here to deliver a message. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Ladies and gentlemen, because that message is everything. Nothing else matters until we settle on this point, that you need to know Jesus Christ and believe in the efficiency of the cross to wash away your sins and make you right in the sight of God. When Paul wrote to the Philippians of the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he said that I may know Him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Notice being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
This was his passion. This was his priority amongst the Corinthians. Just as he wrote to them in his second epistle, he said, for he that is God made him that is Christ who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything hinges on that one thing. Now look at verse three. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. It's very revealing, isn't it? When he stepped up to share the message, I mean, guys, it's not like he was brimming with confidence. Uh, He was human like like you are and like I am. Did you know that, that... Public speaking is one of the single most terrifying things to the average individual. To stand in front of a, of a collective gathering of any real number and have all the attention on you, waiting to hear from you, give me something of substance, you see. It's like, you know, Paul, Paul, he was like, he was like you. He was, he was like me. He was nervous. We might even say, you know, intimidated. He says, my preaching wasn't with persuasive words of of human wisdom. Notice, verse 4, he says, my speech, my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Again, guys, it wasn't that he wasn't studied up. If 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 there was ever a man studied up, it was Paul the Apostle. All right? It's not that he wasn't studied up. It wasn't that he wasn't prepared to be in the pulpit, that he just kind of got up there and just kind of seen what happened. And I don't know if I, you know, let's, let's just see how, how this comes about. No, it wasn't like that. It's, that. it's that he was relying not on his own capacity or ability to convince anyone of anything. That was not his purpose. He wanted it to be clear. Listen to me now. When someone's life was transformed... It wasn't due to the art of human persuasion. It was a demonstration of the Spirit and of the power of God. The fact of the matter is that his simplicity and even his timidity served to emphasize the efficiency of the message of the cross. Look at verse 5. He says that your faith should be in the wisdom, or that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul was very careful now to ensure the fact that when someone's life was changed, that no one could say, well, of course they would follow what you know, he's saying. He's the kind of guy that could sell ice to an Eskimo, you know. I mean, he's just a a smooth talker. He's a real charmer. Of course people follow after him. No, you know, this Pied Piper of sorts. No, it would be crystal clear. A life changed would be nothing short of a demonstration of the spirit and of power. That way no one's faith would rest upon the wisdom of men. That is some... Uh, how do you say, maybe rational or articulate explanation, but upon the power of God, that is a demonstration. Do you see the difference? Guys, we need to understand that there is a vast difference between a response and a result, okay? 
It's not too difficult for a good speaker to yield a response from a crowd. You know, tell a touching story, let the silence work for you, not against you, you know, there you are, holding them in suspense, you know. Maybe tell a funny anecdote or two along the way, woo them through a little entertainment and charismatic personality and charming as you may be, and people will respond to you. But that's not in any way indicative of getting results for the kingdom of God. Let me put it to you this way. If I can talk you into something, then someone else can talk you out of that same thing. Okay, But if you experience the power of God in transforming your life, come on, no one can convince you that what God did for you isn't real. Okay, In other words, you experience the forgiveness, the grace, the love, the new life that God has for you personally, and that has changed you profoundly, uh, uh, permanently. There's no going back, you see. You'll never be the same. Is that anybody? Come on. And so Paul didn't use the techniques taught by worldly wisdom. However, Paul would say, uh, let's not get it twisted, okay? Look at, look at verse 6. He says, however, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, Paul, just because he wouldn't cater to the Corinthian love of human wisdom, that doesn't mean that his message embodied no wisdom. In fact, there's a vast wealth of wisdom that he shared, but it was only accessible to those who had a heart to receive it. Are you following me? Among those who are mature. Now, who are, who are the mature? Is he uh, distinguishing between the saved and the unsaved? Or the spiritually immature versus the mature believer? I mean, I, I personally probably lean toward the latter, but there's certainly application in either context. There are spiritual truths that only come alive to you in Christ. And we spoke of this last week about the message of the cross and how it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's both beautiful and brilliant. Wisdom beyond this world's ability to comprehend. It's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Equally true is that salvation is just the beginning. You know, sanctification or maturing, growing in Christ should follow. But that doesn't always happen. You know, some people can be saved 25 years or more, you know, give or take. But as it pertains to their spiritual growth and development, they're still babes. They've never really grown. They haven't really pursued a relationship with Christ beyond salvation, you see. It's like when Paul, and I believe that he wrote Hebrews, 
So I'll just say when Paul wrote to the Hebrews, and he said to them, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. I mean, you have known the Lord for a while. You should be teaching others what you've heard from me. But you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, of the word of God. And and, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Notice, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those, notice, who by reason of use, do you see that? They're put into work, okay? Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You see, there's a vast wealth of spiritual wisdom that awaits the child of God. But Paul is telling the Corinthians that so long as they're placing a a premium on human wisdom, that's a tell, okay? They aren't maturing as they should be. You know, babies will eat anything. They'll put anything into their mouth. And baby Christians are kind of that way too. You know, they'll, they'll try to feed on just about anything. Don't really have the discernment, aren't really mature enough to recognize what has substance, what's a solid diet versus what's not healthy and, and perhaps even harmful, you see. Now, at the heart of this wisdom with regard to our context is the message of the cross, God's plan of salvation from before the foundations of the world, which he says none of the rulers of this age knew nor recognized, or else they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. Now again, who are the rulers of this age? Is this a reference to folks like Pilate, you know, the religious leaders who incited the crowd to demand the crucifixion of Jesus? Or is this a reference to even demonic entities, as Paul refers in Ephesians 6 to the powers and principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this age? Probably room for debate in that. Um, but the truth is, it's applicable in either context, okay? Because had the political rulers known who Jesus was, they wouldn't have done what they did. Even so, had the demonic forces known that the cross wouldn't destroy Jesus but would defeat them, right? Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, then they wouldn't have deceived Judas and incited the crowd. But it was a mystery. That's the, that's the word Paul uses. Something completely unknowable apart from the revelation of God. That's what a biblical mystery is. It's what we might call it a family secret. It's unknowable to those who are outside, you see. It it points to something completely unattainable through simple human uh, intellect. And the plan of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, was something that no one saw coming. The age of the church... Jew and Gentile being one in Christ, the age of grace, the gift of the Holy Spirit. These are things revealed through the gospel. These are the things that Paul preached. Notice verse 9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, 
yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, allow me to take a brief moment and point out that the context that surrounds verse nine, it's a critical context because this is a verse that is oftentimes used to illustrate the glories of heaven that await us. You know, uh, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor have entered into the heart of man, you know, the, the things which God has prepared for those who, who love him. Maybe you even heard this, you know, scripture used at a funeral or something. And it's a fine application uh, because no doubt that's true, but it's not the proper interpretation at all. Paul is underscoring the point that the rulers of this age did not recognize who Jesus was, nor did they understand God's plan through the cross. They didn't get it, or they wouldn't have crucified him. And essentially he says, and, but that's the way that it was going to be, essentially to use the language of scripture, he says, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. They didn't have the spirit of God. They didn't understand the plan of God. Are you with me? All that God had prepared for those who love him, the forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, a life led in the spirit, empowered by the spirit. These are the things that the natural man, the unbeliever, never dreamed of. These things don't enter into the equation of their heart or mind. Look at verse 10, though. But God, see, this is the clincher, has revealed them to us through his spirit. You see that? Spiritual truth is communicated by the spirit of God. We can receive spiritual revelation Not through natural means, it takes the spirit of God to reveal to us the things of God. Are you following me? That's what Paul is saying. What happened, happened apart. They didn't have the spirit of God. They didn't have the revelation of God. But you and me, we, God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Jesus said, I've got a lot of things I'm going to share with you. When the helper comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to reveal them to you, right? For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. In other words, we can't really know the heart of God apart from the Spirit of God. He says, just as no one really knows what's happening in your heart, I don't know what's happening in your heart. You do, right? I mean, you you can get real with yourself. Oftentimes we choose to deceive even ourselves. But you know what's happening in your heart. I I don't. It takes your spirit, right? Your spirit knows you. Uh, Even so, he says here, no one can really know what's happening in the heart of God apart from his spirit, okay? And his spirit, listen, you, you believe on the Lord. His spirit now is in you, okay? Look at verse 12. He says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. Justification, redemption, uh, righteousness by faith. Uh, 
All of these things freely given to us through the cross of Jesus Christ. And when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as I just mentioned, uh, the Holy Spirit, God gives you his spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside you, revealing these things to you, assuring you of these things. You have been, the Bible word is, sealed by the Spirit for the day of redemption. Now look at verse 13. He said, these things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. Now, this word comparing could also be translated interpreting or explaining, okay? Uh, The idea seems to be that the Holy Spirit teaches, right? John said, you have no need that anyone teach you, for the Holy Spirit teaches you. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have Bible teachers, and, you know, Paul was very clear that God has given apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. But the idea is, even when I'm, or whoever's here, or someone may be communicating to you, and the lights come on for you, It's not because that guy's so great at what he does. It's because the Holy Spirit's opening your understanding. Okay? The Holy Spirit is teaching you. And here we're seeing that the Holy Spirit teaches or interprets or explains or makes known spiritual wisdom to those who are spiritual people. Okay? The Holy Spirit does not make known spiritual truth to the natural man. Are you with me? but he will share the deep things of God as discovered through the gospel to spiritual people or those who have been born again as by the spirit of God. Are you with me? Okay, now look at verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Notice, but we have the mind of Christ. Now, we're not far from finished here, but we know that there are only two types of people in this world, correct? There are those who are saved and those who are unsaved. Yet, of those two types of people, there are actually three categories. There is the natural man. These are are like the Bible words, the way the Bible describes these folks, right? There's the natural man. Uh, That is the unredeemed, the unregenerate. Uh, The natural man lives on the basic plane of, of materialism. Uh, driven by appetites, the appetites of the flesh, uh, searching for maybe power or pleasure or fame or fortune, different strokes for different folks, as they say, you get the idea. It's where we start in life. I mean, uh, it's what we inherited from Adam, just being ruled by our sin nature. Now, having said that, uh, I don't want you to think that there's anything inherently wrong or, or sinful about the natural life. What I mean by that is that God isn't displeased uh, when we go to work rather than pray all day, okay? It's not like, well, what's that guy doing going to work? I mean, he could be spending time with me. 
God doesn't think like that. I mean, or that you go to sleep at night rather than, you know, read your Bible all night or something. You know, God, God has created us to live in this world. But life on this level is void of spiritual insight, okay? Spiritual things seem foolish to the natural man. I mean, you guys could be sleeping in or at the lake or fishing or playing golf or doing any number of things, but you're here. Why would you do that? Why would you waste time on spiritual things? You could be having fun. You could be making money. You get the idea. Truth be told, even if he wanted to know them, uh, he couldn't because they are, Paul tells us, spiritually discerned or examined or uh, evaluated. That is, you have to have a spiritual nature to evaluate spiritual things. And just as you uh, can't properly evaluate things that require sight apart from eyes or things that require sound apart from the ability to hear, Even so, you can't judge things that are spiritual apart from the Holy Spirit, okay? And that's the other uh, other category. This is the second of the three, right? So we've got the natural man, we've got the, the spiritual man. You know, and the transition from the natural man to the spiritual man takes place when we are what the Bible calls born again of the Spirit, You know, we're born natural. We've got to be, Jesus said, born again of the Spirit. And so now you've gone from being a natural man to a spiritual man. No longer driven exclusively or solely by the appetites of the flesh. There's been a transition. Now you're you're driven by, you desire, you long to be pleasing to God, to lead a life in the Spirit, you see. You're the spiritual man. Now there's a third category that Paul will speak of in another study. And that's the carnal man, okay? And this is basically a man who has a spiritual nature. That is, he's been born again, but he still reasons and rationalizes like he did or she did when they were an unbeliever. See, their priorities are still askew. They're still uh, thinking along the uh, worldly way, even though they've received the Lord. We'll talk about that more in depth as we come across it. But when Paul says that the spiritual man judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one, I don't want you to misunderstand that either. He doesn't mean that a believer should never be called to account uh, when they do something wrong. Matter of fact, I mean, that's the lion's share of this letter, isn't it? He's calling these folks to account for things that are kind of amiss in their midst. But what he's saying is that a believer can rightly understand the position of an unbeliever. He, he knows what's going on there because he's been there. Okay, so he can see it. He knows it. But an unbeliever can't accurately understand a believer. Okay? He doesn't have the mind of Christ. But as a child of God, the Spirit of God has given you the mind of Christ. And this is where that natural into spiritual, but then we kind of have this choice of carnal, spiritual, you know, we can can resist the working of the mind of Christ through the Spirit of God in our lives, or we can walk in it. And so let me encourage you as our time uh, comes to a close today, Paul said, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. 
Notice, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That is, let's allow the Spirit of God to have His way in our heart and in our mind. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus. What mind is that? Doing nothing through selfish ambition or conceit, looking out not for the things of self, but for the things of others, that God might be glorified in our lives. Amen? God, it's so easy to place our own needs, truthfully, God, even our own wants, before the needs of others. Help us, God, that we not resist the mind of Christ, but that we receive it. We walk in it learning to crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit. And we pray more and more for the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. God, people turning to you, believing in you, being born again to the increase of your kingdom. God, we want you to use our lives. Lord, that we not be ashamed of the gospel or uh, afraid to speak up and speak out in love, speaking the truth in love for fear of, well, what if they say something and I don't know the answer? But Lord, just to trust in the sufficiency of your spirit to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, of judgment. And that we can share what we do know and not have to know everything. Guys, while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to take a quick moment here. I, I would be remiss if I let this moment go without recognizing that maybe, just maybe, you're here today and something is resonating in you. And it may not make sense to you but you know somehow and in some way that today is the day of salvation for you. Listen, you have no idea the good things that God has prepared for you. But you can give your life to Jesus Christ. Turn from your sin and trust in Him. I, I'm not trying to, to sell you or promise you a a primrose, problem-free path. That's, you know, perish the thought. And Christians, we, we have problems. We have struggles. What I'm promising you is the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And so if that's something that you want today, 
And I'm just going to say, don't worry about who's around you, who you came here with, or what circumstances brought you to this place. Don't worry about where you've been or what you've done, how young or how old you may be. But you know what? Is my heart in God's hands, truly? Is he upon the throne of my heart? Have I really submitted myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? If not, today you can. And I'd love to pray for you if that's something that is, that is transitioning, that is taking place, that is resonating in you. I would just say, just show me who you are. Just raise your hand. If I see your hand, I'll say it, and you can, you can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second. You've not, I'm not talking, guys, I, listen, this isn't like a, a rededication moment, okay? That's cool. If that's happening in your heart, praise God for that. But I, I'm saying, like, look, I'm done playing the game. I need to give my life to Christ. Can I pray for you? Just show me who you are. God bless you, and you and you, and God bless you too, man, and God bless you. Guys, this is what it's all about. And and, and I just want you to realize, and I mean, it may go without saying, but just let me say it. I'm not trying to sell you anything. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyone else? Okay, okay. Okay. Listen, the Bible's very clear that all sin and fall short of the glory of God. But there's a beautiful promise that we're given in Scripture that if we will confess our sin, He is faithful, He is just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Not some of it, not all of it except that one really bad thing, and you know what that is. That's not what the Scripture said, but all of it, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far He casts our sin from us, your sin from you. And so just come to him, guys. And again, it's not, I'm not giving you like this, uh, this formula for salvation while I prayed this prayer. No, man, you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But come to him. Confess before him, God, I, I am a sinner. I have sinned but I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. Lord Jesus, that you would come into my heart, into my life. Just make yourself real to me and fill me with the person and the power of your Holy Spirit. Change me, oh God. Lord, I believe in you. And help me to lead my life for you from this day forward all the days of my life. And thank you for putting my name in your book of life. Listen, I just want to encourage you 
As we talked about in our introductory time, the Bible is very clear that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things are made new. Receive that today. Rejoice in that. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. I want you to know that you're the result of of somebody who's been praying for you. And what's happening in your heart, man, is, is an incredible, miraculous thing. From dead in sin to alive in Christ. Wow. Be blessed by that. Father, we just thank you for your work. Even here, Lord, the demonstration of the Holy Spirit and power in death to life. Resurrection power. Oh God, we pray that you would strengthen us all in our resolve to follow you, to honor you, to lead our lives out loud for you. Just pour out your spirit in this place. Be glorified in this place, in our lives individually, in this body collectively, God, as we leave this building, Lord, and go into the community, God, that you would just begin to use us in ways that maybe before we've never even thought through, considered, or seen. There would be a boldness, a consecration, a sanctification, growth for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen? Amen. Why don't we rise to our feet, ladies and gentlemen? Isn't God good? Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, man. For he is great and he is greatly to be praised. And if you have any need for prayer today, we want to encourage you as we uh, just dismiss you. That that's why we assemble down here. Again, I like to just re- remind you, it's not because we think we have our act all together, uh, but because we count it a joy and a privilege to pray for you, whatever your need may be. But may the Lord bless you and be with you. May his spirit rest in power upon you. May the joy of the Lord fill you. May the boldness of the Holy Spirit rest upon you. Again, next week being Easter, we encourage you, you know, bring your friends, your family. Uh, Come out early morning. Catch what God has put on Pastor Russ's heart. Hang out for some breakfast and we'll catch a service Uh, in here as well, 10 o'clock. Come on out on a Thursday night. Be blessed. I mean, there's just opportunities, you guys. There's opportunities. Take advantage of them. Be blessed by them. And uh, Father, we pray that your word would find fertile soil uh, in our hearts today, uh, that it would bring forth fruit for your glory. And Lord, that uh, you would use us and be, again, just magnified and glorified through us. We thank you for your love for us, and that you have demonstrated your love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Jesus, you died for us. Go before us now. Have your way in us, and we'll give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen? Amen.
Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great uh, Sunday afternoon. Jody, is there, is there a men's thing today?